Well, good morning, Golden Corner Church. If you're visiting with us for the first time, I know what you're thinking. Some of these people are the tackiest dressers I've ever seen in my life. Well, this is tacky Christmas sweater or sweatshirt day. And if you're wondering who this individual is on my shirt, that is one of my personal heroes. uh, Somebody that I've chosen to pattern my life after and uh, really want to be like. This is George Costanza from Seinfeld. And yes, we're wishing you a happy Festivus for the rest of us. You know, on a tacky sweater day, I had planned that maybe this would be a Sunday that you do kind of a lighthearted, humorous sermon. I really had. I'd planned that all along. And I even had an idea, an outline. I was ready to go with it. And I've had this thought on my mind, I guess, the past week or two. And I feel like God kept saying something to me. And that is, Ronnie, you got some people at your church that are carrying something. Been carrying it for a while. And they really don't need to carry it into next year. They need to lay it down. You ask, what do you think that is? I think somebody here is carrying a grudge. I'm not asking for a show of hands. Somebody, maybe an ex-wife, a former employer trusted friend, ex-boyfriend, maybe a parent, did you wrong. And they've hurt you deeply. And you're carrying a grudge. When you think about them, you can feel your pulse quicken. Face might get a little flush. Sometimes when you're lying in bed at night and everything's quiet and still, you get the tapes out and you relive the incident. Whatever it is this person did to you. If somebody mentions their name, you feel that it's your personal obligation to make sure that they know what a sorry individual that person is because of what they did to you. So oftentimes you find yourself retelling the incident. I guess there are times when you project yourself and this person out in the future and you can just see the things that happened to them to pay them back. For what they did to you. Now you know what you call that don't you? That's a grudge. And you need to let it go. You see how would I do that? Forgive them. Let them off the hook. Let the incident go. I know what some of you are thinking. What? You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they took from me. You don't know how deeply that person hurt me. And you're telling me I ought to forgive them. Why don't you give me one good reason, preacher. One good reason that I should forgive them. Okay, here's one. Holding a grudge hurts the offended, never the offender. 
I hate church signs. I don't know. I, I, I get so embarrassed when I go by churches and messages on the signs. I'm like, can somebody not put a stop to that? Can somebody not go out there and say, please don't put anything up there? They just, they're kind of embarrassing. But I saw one a few years ago I really liked, and this is what he said. Holding a grudge is like drinking rat poison and waiting on the rat to die. Think about it, Golden Corner. Come on, think about it there for just a minute. You're holding a grudge. You drank the poison. It's not hurting them. It's hurting you. You say, in what way? I want to tell you something. You may not have picked up on. But we see it. It's changed you. You're not the same person that we met. It's, it's changed your whole disposition. You have no joy. You're never happy. You're critical, negative, bitter. I guess you could say it like this. It just kind of soured you. I'm not picking on you, man. I'm here today to help you walk away from this. I, I tell you what, I'm here to help you leave the grudge in this room and go on with the rest of your life. You know, the Bible tells us that holding a grudge hinders our prayers. It's costing you spiritually, costing the people you pray for. It's hindering your relationships what you have, because here's the deal, uh, you now push people away from you because you put your offender's face on everybody else, and you're like, they're just going to do to me what so-and-so did to me, so you push them away. And in a lot of cases, you don't have to push them away. Honey, five minutes around you, and they're running away. You need to understand the reason you still hurt is because you hold a grudge. Healing doesn't start until forgiveness begins. And you've got to understand you're never going to move on to the next chapter of your life, which hopefully is a much better chapter, until you let the grudge go. And the only way you can do that is to forgive. So why don't you forgive? You say, Ronnie, that's not easy. If it were easy to forgive, don't you think I would have already done that? And I'll be honest with you, this is what I have found in my personal experience. If some person does me wrong, if they... Use me, abuse me, mistreat me. I find it challenging, Derek, to forgive. It's not easy. But it's possible. It can be done. If you know the secret to forgiving. You go, secret? What are, what are you talking about here, Ronnie? This is what I've seemed to notice. People who forgive know something that people who refuse to forgive don't seem to know. And I think this secret enables these people to really forgive. So, do you want to know what the secret to forgiving is? Boy, I hope you do. If not, the next 20 minutes is going to be rough for both of us. <laughs> Ronnie, what's the secret to forgiving? you got to know this, guys. Our offenders are not God, and neither are we. Man, please, open your mind, open your heart. Let that one sink 
went down real deep. I want you to get a hold of that. Our offenders are not God, and neither are we. You say, Ronnie, okay, I'm embracing that statement. Don't know that I really understand it, but I'm doing what you said. Well, let me tell you a story from the Bible, and I've got to tell you a really condensed version of it. It's a long story, but it illustrates this truth. It's where I found the secret. And it's the story of a young man's life. His name was Joseph. It's found in the Old Testament book of Genesis, chapter 37 through 50. You got it. That's 13 chapters, correct? And I can't do all of that. So we're going to just really condense it down, okay? In a minute, we're going to read some verses from chapter Genesis 45, verses 1 through 9. But let me kind of set the stage and tell you what's happening. Joseph was one of 12 sons born to a man named Jacob. And Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, and he didn't try to hide it. He didn't care if the other boys knew, you're okay, he's something special. I like you, kind of. Well, I really love him. And as a result, guess the ten, Joseph's ten older brothers, they hated, not Jacob, they didn't hate their daddy over this, they hated Joseph. They were jealous of him, and of course, jealousy left uncontrolled often turns into hatred. And it did in this case. They hated him. At the age of 17, God, through two dreams, revealed to Joseph that i got big plans for you. One of these days, you're going to be a ruler, a And even your father and your brothers will bow down to you. Now, very foolishly, Joseph sat down at the breakfast table one morning and said, Hey, guys, you're not going to believe this, but this is what God is calling me to. This is what's going to happen. One of these days, I'll be this big shot, powerful guy, and all you guys are going to come and bow down to me. You'll be subjects in my kingdom. What do you think about that? Hey, if your brother had shared that with you, what would you thought? Yeah, right. You know what the Bible said? They hated him more. One day, Jacob calls his boy Joseph to his side. He said, I need you to do something for me. Your ten older brothers are up in the mountains, and they're watching my flocks. Go up and check on them. Joseph, being the loyal, faithful son that he was, he did exactly what his daddy wanted. And the Bible said when his ten older brothers saw him approaching, they conspired against him to whip his tail. What does it say? Kill him. Can you believe that? We're just going to kill him. You know, the jealousy left uncontrolled turned to hatred. The hatred, you know, not brought into check turned into a desire to murder. And who were they going to murder? They were going to murder their own brother. When he comes before them, they threw him into what was essentially an empty well and said, we're going to leave him there to die very slowly of exposure, dehydration, and starvation. Can you imagine a more painful death than that? I mean, we're not just going to take out a thirty-eight and shoot him between the eyes or slit his throat and leave him here to bleed to death. No, you know what we're going to do? Put him in that hole and just leave it and let it happen over a period of time. Man, these guys were hateful. They throw him in the pit, and then they sit down to eat their lunch. They took the wax paper off the cheese sandwiches and began to eat. And the Bible said that in the background, no, it didn't say anything about the cheese sandwiches. That came from the Hodge translation. You got that right, didn't you? The Bible said that as they ate their lunch, they could hear him begging and pleading from inside the pit, please don't do this, please don't do this. One of the guys sees a a caravan coming, and there's slave traders. And he has an idea. Oh, oh, I know what we can do. He gets the other brothers around, and he said, you know, if we kill him, his blood's going to be on our hands. So I know a way that we can get rid of him and really not do anything 
wrong. Let's sell him to those slave traders. And he said, not only will we get rid of him, but we could profit just a little bit. They love the idea. Somebody stops the caravan. The others pull Joseph up out of that pit. And I've always wondered what Joseph might be thinking. Perhaps, oh, they've come to their senses. They're not going to go through with this. And, you know, they pull him and he sees one of the guys bartering a deal with a slave trader. And the next thing you know, a little currency is exchanged. And he begins to recognize just what he's worth to his brothers for 20 pieces of silver, two pieces of silver apiece. They sold him to the slave traders. They shackled him to the other potential slaves and they led him away. I believe in him weeping and begging every step that he took until he was out of sight and out of earshot. Please don't. Do this. He was taken to Egypt where he was sold to a guy named Potiphar. He served in Potiphar's home as a slave for 10 years. You know, things went from good to bad. And then in, as he is in slavery for 10 years, then things went from bad to worse. 10 years in, he's framed for a crime that he did not commit. He ends up thrown into a prison where I believe, Mitch, he was serving a life sentence. Now, I want you to think about this. Now, let's back up. Because some of you need to take a careful look again at this story. What did the brothers do to him? They rejected him. Through their actions, you know what they said to him? We don't want you in our life anymore in any capacity. We believe that our lives would be much better if you weren't a part of it. Good riddance. Hope to never see you again the longest day we live. Now, why did I want you to see that? Because that's exactly what happened to some of you. Someone that should have loved you. Someone that should have embraced you. Someone who never should have left you or allowed you to leave. Rejected you. They came to that conclusion. My life would be better if you were no longer a part of it. Could have been an ex-spouse. Could have been a parent who went off on their own in search of their true identity. Their self and forgot all about you. Could have been an employer that you served faithfully for two decades who said to you one day, hey, here's the deal. Our company would be a whole lot better if you weren't a part of it. Goodbye. Here's a watch. Thank you for 20 years of service. I don't know. But somebody rejected you. They sent you packing and said, I don't need you, nor do I even want you. Goodbye. You know what they took from you? took was your self-value. And I don't know why that thing keeps cutting out like that. Tim, is it cutting out? Am I hearing things or is the mic cutting out occasionally? So, okay, we're all good. If it goes out completely, I'll just yell, okay? All right, or I'll get a lot closer and we'll try to talk about this. You know, one thing, it, it, it took your value. Because you really looked to them to determine what your self-worth was. And Joseph, that's what, one of the things they stripped from him. He, he looked at this, you know what I'm worth? I'm worth two pieces of silver, apparently. And because they rejected you, you think everybody's going to reject you. It threw his life into a tailspin. I mean, he had a plan. I'm daddy's favorite. I'm going to inherit everything that's coming to the firstborn God's got a big plan for me. And next thing you know, that's all off the table. This had to be absolutely confusing. You know where he was at, Tony? He was having to start all over again with absolutely nothing. Nothing. He's starting from scratch. 
They made sure he got a heavy dose of loneliness. He's in this country all by himself, has no family, no friends, can't even speak the language. See, the reason I wanted you to see that, and, and I think maybe worst of all, it appeared they'd taken his future. How am I ever going to become a king now that I'm a slave? Now here, somebody rejected you. They took your sense of self-worth. They threw your world into a tailspin. You're starting from nothing. You're starting over. It appears that they have disrupted God's whole plan for your life. And you find yourself immersed in loneliness. Now the reason I want you to see that. Because I want you to understand how his story ends. I want you to be able to identify with him and see that whatever you've gone through, he's gone through something probably worse. Thirteen years in, he's in prison serving for a crime he didn't commit. And the reigning pharaoh has a couple of dreams that are plaguing him, and nobody can interpret it. Somebody said, you ought to go talk to this Hebrew prisoner named Joseph. Maybe he could help you. So the king has Joseph brought up. He shares the dreams. Joseph said, oh, yeah, it's easy. I know what they mean. It means there's seven years of prosperity coming to Egypt, maybe the most prosperous years in the history of Egypt. But they're going to be followed by seven really difficult years of famine, years so difficult that if something's not done, Egypt's not going to survive. Well, that's not good news. And then Joseph, get this now, Hebrew slave slash prisoner standing before Pharaoh and everybody who had any clout. And this, this is what he said. He said, oh yeah, now let me proceed and tell you what I would do if I were in your situation. In the seven years of prosperity, I would put back 20% of the grain. I would, I would create a network of people throughout Egypt who made sure that all of this was collected. And I would put one man over that network of people to make sure that this happened. And then I would, I would live off of that 20% surplus during the seven years of famine. And by doing so this nation will survive. What about that? You know what the king said? He said, dude, that'll work. I like that idea, and that's exactly what we're going to do. And as far as the one man who supervised the whole deal, the one man who supervised it, I think I'm going to let you do that. Just like that, Joseph was issued a full pardon. He was given uh, you know, the best job in all the kingdom. He, was, he became not only the guy who oversaw this grain storing process, he became the governor of Egypt, the second most powerful man in the most powerful country that existed on the planet Earth. You know, he marries a girl. He has kids. His life is turned around completely. You know, everything happened just as he said. Seven years of prosperity. Then the famine set in. Two years in, let me tell you what, the famine spread to other countries. And people from other countries were coming into Egypt. And they were asking to buy grain. And wouldn't you know it, Sam, one day his ten older brothers showed up. And they go before Joseph and say, We need to buy a little grain. Joseph recognized them. They did not recognize him. He was 17 the last time they saw him. Now he's 39. They got their grain and left. They came back another time and left. And then they were brought back a third time. And this time they're meeting with Joseph alone. They still haven't recognized him. And I want you to see what happens. Chapter 45, verse number 1. You ready? 
Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room. And he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. He cleared the room, so he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. Now I want you to picture this. Here are ten guys. By this time they're eleven. They brought their younger brother back. They don't know who this dude is. All they know is he's a very powerful man. And right in front of him, he begins to weep. Now, it's not just that tears were trickling down his cheeks. This guy had an emotional breakdown. He is wailing. He is sobbing uncontrollably. And these, can you see these brothers looking at one another like, what in the world? He wept so he broke down. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. Now look at this. Try to put yourself in this moment and get a hold of the how emotionally packed this moment must have been. As he says, "I am Joseph. Is my father still alive?" Now imagine his younger brother, who was unaware of what had happened, sitting there going, "What?" Because he had been told a wild animal had killed his brother. Now the other ten, if you try to get a mental image of the looks that must have been on their faces. I mean these blank looks. Jaw dropped. They're not taking a breath. I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? Look at this. But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Look what he said to them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they inched closer. Picture this. And he said again, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. Look at verse number 5. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. Are you kidding me? Really? 22 years? And that's what you're going to say to them in light of what they did to you and all they took from you? Hey guys, now just don't be upset with yourselves. Don't be angry with yourselves about what you did to me. Now, if I'm Joseph, I gotta be honest with you. They don't need to be worried or concerned about being upset and angry about what they did to me uh, because they need to be worried about me being upset and angry with them about what they did to me. You know what I just, you know what I done? Oh, I'd have taken advantage of this situation. I'd have said, hey, boys, I believe it was 22 years ago when you may not have said it, but I read between the lines with your actions, and you said you didn't need me in your world. You said you didn't even want me in your world. Well, how the tables have turned. I believe you're groveling at my feet asking for a little grain. (laughs) What about this, huh? And I would have said, and I know that you really wanted to mess up my life in a big way. Did you notice the, did you notice the title on my desk? I believe it reads, a governor of Egypt. I've got power. I've got money. I've got a good-looking hot wife. I've got kids. Did you see the chariot I'm riding around in? Boys, it didn't work so well for you, but I am doing quite well. That's what I'd have said. You said, preacher, I'm shocked. Let me tell you, you'd have done worse. You'd have called in the royal guard and said, hey, how about beating the fool out of these ten guys right here? You'd have said, hey, you made me a slave for ten years. You're going to be a slave for ten years. And after that, you'll serve in prison for three years. Then come back and see me. Let's see if we can work this thing out. You'd have done worse. How could he do this? 
I'm going to tell you how. It's clear he had forgiven them. He didn't hold a grudge. How could he have done that? Look back at verse 5. God, i got to tell you this. Wearing a tacky sweatshirt to preach in was a horrible idea. It's like being in a sauna. <laughs> you know? Whew, if I can survive this in the second group, I might not see this sweatshirt. <laughs> Look what he said in verse number 5. He said, but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. Now, these next sentences, you got to see this. This is crazy. He said, it was God who sent me here. God did this ahead of you to preserve your life, your lives, guys. This famine that has ravaged land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Look at verse 7. God has sent me. God sent me here ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and preserve many survivors. Look at verse 8. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him this is what your son Joseph said. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt. So come down to me immediately. What did Joseph just said? Can I share with you the hardest translation? This is what I believe Joseph said. Boys, I'm not angry with you or upset with you because you didn't mess up God's plan for my life. Oh, yeah, you meant to harm me. You hoped to mess up my life, but you didn't. You know why? You're not God. You never had the ability to prevent God from fulfilling his plan for me. You never did. You were never in control of my life. God was always in control. Even during the 13 dark years where my life made no sense at all, he was in control. God made my life great in spite of everything you did to me and everything you took from me. And then get this. He said, not only did he do that in spite of that, he actually used your meanness. He used everything you did to make it happen. Joseph was able to forgive because he learned the first half of the secret to forgiving. Our offenders are not God. You know why you're still so angry with the people who disappointed or rejected you? You know why you're so upset with the people who have slandered or used you? You believe they've messed up your life. Truth is, they haven't. Truth is, they can't. You know why? They're not God. Difficult, disappointing, divisive people don't control your destiny. Only God controls your destiny. He's so powerful that to do what he wants in spite of anything anyone would ever do to you. And God is so powerful and wise, he actually used the bad things people do to you to fulfill his plan in the end. Man, I'm getting old. Cat's out of the bag. I can't hide it. You know, I see so many pastors that are my age that dye their hair just as black as a raven. Beards just as black. I'm thinking, come on, dude. We all know. We all see. We, you know, you're old. You're old. Like I'm not going to do that. I'm old. I don't care. I kind of like it. In some ways. A lot of ways I don't. But uh, 
at my age, I still believe that the best is yet for me, that God has big plans for me. But at my age, I'm able to look back over some things. And hindsight's twenty twenty. And I've done a lot of that lately, just kind of reviewing my life. And I see so clearly now that my destiny was to serve as a pastor at Golden Corner Church in Wallace, South Carolina. And that God was orchestrating this even before I was a Christian. I mean, there's a reason that my family relocated from Knoxville, Tennessee, and came to Oconee County, South Carolina. You know, we always thought it was just so Dad could help build the Joe Cassie Dam. Oh, no. God sent me here. Because being the pastor of this church was his destiny for me. And I could just see how all these little pieces started coming together. And you kind of see how the plan worked and what God was doing through all this stuff. And, man, my first church was in Oconee County. And, and, uh, you know, I served it as senior pastor for almost 10 years. And then... There were some folks at the church that kind of made it impossible for me to stay, if you kind of know what I mean. I didn't want to leave. Man, I had to leave. And there were folks that said things and did things, assuming we have wrecked his ministry. It's kaput, it's over, it's done. Well, you know, all that did was send me to Golden Corner. And in the end, where did he want me? Here. God not only fulfilled his plan for me in spite of what they did, he used what they did. I want you to understand something. What he did for Joseph, he'll do for you. It's not that God at one time had a great plan for your life, but... Somebody messed that up. Nope. God still has a great plan for your life. Nobody messed it up. So here's what I want you to consider doing. Let him off the hook. Forgive him. I'll tell you, that's the first half of the secret. Our offenders are not God. I've got to do this quickly. Not for your sake, but for mine. I need water or something. Gatorade. Man, I'm about to pass out. And uh, so I'm going to really blow through this, okay? I want, what's the second half of this secret? I want you to look at, at Genesis chapter 50, verse 14. I'm going to set the stage very quickly. Joseph's father, Jacob, had died. And the funeral is over. Look what happens. Verse 14, after burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's funeral. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him. They said, now you see the ten brothers are frightened. They're thinking with daddy out of the way, we're going to see the real Joseph. He's going to use his power and authority and he's going to cream us. He's going to, he's going to settle the score for what we did for him. And so look what they did. Verse number 16. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before the father died, he instructed us to say to you, this is a lie now, folks. They, make, they were making this up. This never happened. They said, before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive. That's a key word. You see what they're wanting here? Now, they're assuming that the reason Joseph would use his position and his authority was because he had not really forgiven them. 
So they're, they're, they're trying to curry favor with, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you. This is supposed from their father for their sin and treating you so cruelly. Then they speak for themselves, for we the servants of the God of your father beg you to forgive our sin. Joseph received this message. He broke down and wept. You say, why would that be? I'll tell you why. He had already forgiven them. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are his slaves, they said. Now, I want you to look, listen to this reply from Joseph. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Are you seeing on the screen? You got those next three words? Am I God? Am I God? That I can punish you? Oh, you intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I'll continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Joseph reassured these ten guys that he had already forgiven them. How could he have done that? I mean, apparently this was the first time they had admitted their guilt to him and the first time they had offered him any kind of an apology. Why forgive these men before they admitted their guilt and apologized? Well, Joseph had learned the secret to forgiving. His offenders weren't God. And neither was he. Joseph recognized that he was not the judge. God alone was the judge. And vengeance belonged to him. Joseph understood that it was not his place to settle the score or get even. That was God's responsibility. If any punishment was necessary, uh, God didn't need Joseph's assistance. What was Joseph's responsibility? His responsibility was to forgive. Vengeance belonged to God. Joseph's part was forgiveness. So he didn't wait on admission of guilt or an apology. He didn't wait on judgment to fall. He did his part. He forgave. I know what happened to you is real. It's not a figment of your imagination. Someone did hurt you deeply. Someone did use you greatly. Someone failed you miserably, and perhaps they do deserve some form of punishment. But that's between your offender and God alone. That's not between your offender, God, and you. God is the judge, and vengeance belongs to him. That's his part, and he is faithful. If there's a score to settle, he'll settle it. Watch your part. If you're not God, then you're not the judge. And if you're not the judge, you know what your part is? Your part is to forgive. So there you have it. You know the secret to forgiving. Our offenders are not God. And neither are we. So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to forgive. We're going to lay some grudges down today. God has something wonderful planned for you. 
It's time for you to cast this grudge aside. Draw the curtains on your past. And move on with your life. Let's bow together. Let me lead you in a prayer. If I've been talking to you through this service, maybe the appropriate thing for you to do right now is offer this prayer to God. God, I'm here today to talk to you about you filling the blank. God, you know full well what happened, what they did. And you know full well the impact it's had on my life. I haven't been able to let it go. need to and as of this moment I want to so I'm willingly let I'm going to willingly let and you fill in the blank off the hook today they don't owe me anything they don't owe me an apology they don't owe me an explanation They don't have to come back to me and try to make this right. I'm letting them off the hook. Free and clear. And God, I'm going to let this incident go. It's water under the bridge. What's done is done. When when this incident pops back in my mind I want you to remind me of this day that on this day I canceled a debt and I chose to move forward Lord I'd like to heal and I want to move on so I'm letting go of the past Will you take me forward? In Christ's name.